my fantasies consisted either of bathrobes or apartments, um, but there was a lot of beach and sometimes horseback riding, a lot <laughs> of running on the beach, and then and you splash, splash in the waves. <laughs> Hello world, there's a song that we're singing, come on get happy, a whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. We Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who grew up with canned corn as a vegetable and tang as a fruit. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. Today, we will be preserving that very first crush, the one that lived on your TV and your record player, also known as your Tiger Beat boyfriend. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. The teenage pop star crush is a universal phenomenon. It's your first clunky attempt at love. It's a rite of passage, a teaching tool that pops up in every generation. Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, The Beatles, David Cassidy, Andy Gibb, Rick Springfield, Duran Duran, Rob Lowe, The Backstreet Boys, Hanson, Justin Bieber, The Joe Bros, One Direction, Shawn Mendes. Need I say more? You had one, your mom had one, and your daughter is probably having one right now. And once you get past it, it becomes a treasured part of your history, something that brings you joy each time you revisit it. My own first crush experience imprinted on me so hard that it inspired a novel about a 12-year-old girl and her quest to get tickets to her crush's concert. Because, by 12-year-old logic, that's where you would inevitably meet and fall in love. Just ask my friend Colleen about her expectations for the Sean Cassidy concert in 1978. The writing of that book gave birth to My Celebrity Crush Story, a social media project that collects and curates your true stories of preteen passion for the heartthrobs of the past some of those stories you'll hear today. But there's more to this than just silliness. There's a sweetness to the science that drives us to fall in love with people we've never met. Let's laugh about it, yes, because it's hilarious, but let's also examine it and see what it really meant. And so I sit here today as a self-proclaimed crushologist, and it is with my crushologist hat on that I will interview Carolyn and Michelle about their first crushes today. Are you guys ready? I'm so excited, yes. I have all my data collection tools. You ready? Yeah, you look very oh, official. Got my beakers and my magnifying glass. <laughs> okay. All right. So we know that crushes come in different stages. Crushes come at different ages for different reasons, and they all mean something different at different ages. So who was your first, first crush, and how did it come to be? I remember my first crush being Donny Osmond. Um, and I think as I've been reviewing my love for him recently, that it might have even come from my mom helping me along. I think because he was on um, with his brothers on the Andy Williams show. So I think we watched that probably as a family and she said, oh, he's a little cutie. And because um, obviously she would have had to buy me the records because I was really young then. Um, and so I think that's how that came to be. I think it was with a little bit of mom's um, reassurance or her kind of prompting that said, okay, this is a cute little guy and you're going to like him. And is this pre-Donnie and Marie show? Oh, yeah. Okay. This, this is, is um, when he show. was really one of the Osmonds. I mean, it was kind of um, before he even went solo. I remember having um, Osmond Brother records. I remember this one, the album opened up and they were like standing in a cornfield or something on the inside photo and obviously my eyes were drawn to Donnie and that's who I loved but it was even pre-puppy love that I was um googly-eyed over so him. how old were you do you think I would think that I was probably seven six seven ish that age and then mm -hmm. maybe eight um for when he had his own little career and had puppy love and go away little girl that just makes my heart hurt when I hear it because I thought he was telling me to go away. Yeah. When you think about yeah, that rejected that at age fun. seven. Yes. Or whoever the girl was, it just seemed so sad. Like, don't tell them to go away. I never did understand yeah. that song. I was confused by it too. 
Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. And Carolyn, my first crush was also Donny Osmond. And it must have been about the same time. If if you said you were about eight, I was about, I was really young, you guys. I was like four. And the reason I know it's four and not older is because I can picture my bedroom at the time and I can picture what house that was. And if I look back and all the different houses I lived in, I would have been like three and a half, four years old. I mean, talk about puppy love, right? I mean, I was, I was basically a toddler and I remember, um, I just remember taking his album again. I have no idea how we, I don't know how we were introduced. Um, because I had an album, which I'm assuming my mom must have bought for me. But I would go in my room and I would take, um, I would draw hearts on the album cover in purple crayon. And I would take that album cover and I would kiss it. And I was like four years old. And I mean, that's just, that's just, that's astounding to me to think that I was that young. But I can remember when I would hear, um, Donny Osmond songs. And to this day I do, I would just get a funny little feeling in my tummy when I'd hear his voice. And, um, I'd get, then when the Donnie and Marie show came like later when I was maybe like seven, eight years old, loved it. And same, I would get tingles. I thought he was so cute and so funny. Um, and he was just adorable. And yeah, he was, he was it for me from about age four to seven or eight. So I'm right with you, Michelle, on the four to eight situation, because my first, first crush was Davy Jones from the Monkees. And I didn't actually know what the feelings were. I didn't actually, I couldn't identify mm -hmm. what they were exactly, but I knew that when I saw him on the screen, remember when a pretty girl would walk on the set and they would put little animated twinkle eyes in uh -huh. Davy Jones' eyes. That's what I was like looking at the TV screen. And of course we have no pause back then. I can't pause it. So I'd be like, you know, five inches from the TV screen looking at Davy Jones. And it was the musical montages that I was a sucker for. And I, I wanted to be in the musical montage with Davy Jones. And that, oh, so sweet. I know, isn't that funny? I know I wanted to be in the musical <laughs> montage with Davy. Um, and so that was my first album that I bought with my own money was The Monkey's Greatest Hits. And there is a, you probably remember this, at the beginning of Daydream Believer, there's a little spoken part where somebody is calling the song. They say 7A. And then Davy Jones says, what number is this, Jim? And the whole group goes, 7A. And he says, okay, okay, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I know. <laughs> and I listened to that little piece, his spoken voice. Like he was yes, whispering in accent. my ear. And even at a four, at four, five, six, and seven, I, even then I was the short one. So when he said, it's because I'm short. Seven A. What number is this, Jim? Seven A. Okay, no, I mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short, I know. It was basically a marriage proposal is what that was. But do you think, did you think that? Because I can look back and that crush on Donny Osmond for me at, you know, four and five and six years old wasn't that type of a crush. I was, I mean, when I, when I was joking, saying it was truly puppy love, it was, it was so innocent. He was just a really cute boy. I didn't know what to do with that or those feelings. And it, they weren't the type of feelings that I had to figure out what to do with them. He was just really cute. I was way too young to have, um, you know, magazines where I was pulling posters out of the wall and putting them on, I'm pu pulling posters out of the magazine, putting them on my wall. I had his albums. I still have those albums to this day. And so I would just stare at the covers of the album just because I thought he was a cute boy. The same way I, you know, crushed on this little boy, Jack, in my kindergarten class is the same way I crushed on, you know, Donny Osmond, except for he was famous. And, but it was just like, when I think back on that crush with Donny Osmond, I don't think it was, it was never of the nature of we're going to end up together. He's my, he's my it. He's my, it was just a tingly feeling in my tummy. And I thought he was so cute. And I thought he was so funny. And it was just that very first innocent, adorable crush. I don't even think I knew the definition of the word crush. I didn't know the word crush. I don't think I ever spoke the words out loud my feelings for Davy Jones. I think it was like a cloud that came over me and enveloped me. And I sat in the feelings without truly understanding what it was. And you're right. I didn't, at that time, I didn't have um, an idea of what I wanted to do with Davy Jones, except run on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> that was about it.
And maybe ride in a, ride in a, a convertible. I wanted to ride in a convertible with him. But you're right. I didn't know how to identify what it was, and I didn't think about doing anything at all with him. Yeah, yeah. So that was how your relationship went then, Michelle. You it um you didn't have the magazines. You didn't have so you didn't have a poster on your wall. I don't well, probably by the time I was, you know, 7 8 I did, but I I had all the paper dolls. I had the lunchbox. But I think yeah, I had all the stuff and I, you know, it was just like, you know, we all get into anything, right? You probably had a lot of monkey stuff. It was the type of relationship that was just very innocent and cute and well, and the age, I think, is important here um, because, um, Carolyn, did you have a poster on your wall when you were that age? Um, not when I was that young. I could, I'll tell you that I think Sean Cassidy was the first actual poster where I even felt I had any um, say on what went on my wall. You know, there was another piece, too, of when I could say, no, I want this up and I'm going to put it up and kind of took ownership of my bedroom. So mm-hmm. it wasn't till probably more like nine or something, eight, nine till I put stuff up on the walls. And by then I'd moved on from um, Donnie. Okay. That that's very interesting. That's why I'm asking because a poster seems to be a place where you do take agency and you, you do start to speak these feelings out loud. These really tiny girl crushes, we can't speak those feelings out loud and we don't know what it is, except that we do like to have the lunchbox and we do like to listen to the music. But the poster is something else entirely. And that seems to come at a different age. And the poster is important because there have actually been studies that talk about a girl's bedroom as being something um, to study culturally, as if it is a reflection of our culture. It's, and it's twofold because it is at the same time a reflection of what is going on internally in a girl's mind and what's going on externally in the broader culture. And so when I see pictures online on social media of people's girlhood bedrooms, I get my magnifying glass out. (laughs) Because I want to see who's on the wall and what does their clock radio look like and what books do they have on the shelf? Because that everything that is in your childhood bedroom is a representative of what was happening in the culture at the time and what was happening in your heart at the time at the same time. I just have to as you're describing that, I'm recalling, as we've shared on another podcast, there's a photo that we've shared of um, my right above my bedroom or my head of my bed. Um, the, there were some posters. They were Jimmy McNichol. There was also a certificate of achievement <laughs> that is hanging there and the crucifix. That's so all when you're saying like, the things that represented my culture and what was going on in my life, yeah. I guess it was Jesus grades and um, Jimmy McNichol or something. But that was and so important that it had to be right there yeah. by my head. It wasn't across the room on a wall. It well, was right there. And if I think of my bedroom, my childhood bedroom, in the years I was crushing on Donny Osmond, like I know when I was in kindergarten, I had a giant big bird puzzle that we had put together. And then it was like, my mom had like stuck it to my wall. So it was almost like life-size big bird. But yet also I was crushing, you know, I was also kissing my Donny Osmond album cover, uh, my album cover, Goodnight. And let, let's be clear, when we say I was kissing my Donny album cover, I wasn't like making out with my Donny Osmond album cover at age, you know, four and five years old. I just remember holding it and giving it a goodnight kiss, you know, and putting it down next to my bed and going to sleep. I probably prayed and then I'd say my prayers and I'd pray, probably prayed for, probably included Donnie in my prayers, I imagine. (laughs) Well, I was remembering, um, I did kind of make out with an album cover (laughs) and this would have been, um, again, Sean Cassidy. (laughs) And I will tell you why, because the cover for Did Do Run Run, the album cover, is pretty much his head. And I assume that was pretty much like a life-size head oh, of him. It wasn't, he wasn't like way off in the distance. I mean, if you put him right on your shoulder and talk to him, it's the album cover, it was like you're having a real conversation with him. So his lips were pretty much about the size his lips were going to be in real life. So that is what I stared into those eyes, that face, because that's what it would be like if he was mm-hmm. right in front of me was the size of that album cover. I wonder even if they do that on purpose. I want. I would really love to do a survey of people to see how many people kissed that album cover, that specific album cover, because of what you just said. It was inviting it. Like, here's yes. my face. Come <laughs> kiss it. 
<laughs> where is there some other album cover you'd have to like find the face and it was little and so you wouldn't be kissing the lips you'd be kissing the whole head right this your right. lips would match up perfectly obviously i've done this your <laughs> lips would match up perfectly with the album cover yes Okay, so that is something I often ask people. Do you have a post? Did you have a poster? And did you kiss it? Because this kissing of the poster seems to be something that um, helped you become the crusher. The crusher, once you kiss the poster, have you've tripped over into like deep <laughs> crush land. And there, there's a woman named Tony who follows me on um, my celebrity crush story, who has the best kissing story. She had a big David Cassidy poster on her door, a big life-size David Cassidy on her door. And she and her cousin would play secretary. And their boss was David Cassidy. And so they would sit there with their telephones and they'd be like, yes, I'm sorry, Mr. Cassidy isn't in right now. May I take a message? And they would make actual messages for David Cassidy. But most importantly, at the end of the day, you had to kiss the boss goodbye. <laughs> oh. oh, Tony. Yes. Wow. That's need to so... contact HR. <laughs> I think there's something about that. Okay, so you've both mentioned several different crushes. So you obviously started with Donny Osmond in the beginning. Both of you started with Donny Osmond in the beginning. I've heard Sean Cassidy. I've heard Jimmy McNichol. Um, so there were crushes that came later. What was your most formative crush? The one that made the biggest impact? And I need to know what age you were mm -hmm. at that time. And and speak to me about how that crush was different from your Donny Osmond crush. Mm -hmm. I think for sure formative is the mo is the perfect word here because um, in 1977, I was eight years old and Chachi Arcola walked through the door of the Cunning Cunningham's house and you guys, I was done. Like I fell hard. And <laughs> With his little sleeveless shirt. <laughs> oh my God. The bandana tied around his jeans oh, and just God. that accent. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but before I get into my deep devotion to Scott Bayo, can we just address something that I know you're all wondering? Do it. And get it out of the way. Um, so from about 1978 to 1982, I was obsessed with Scott Bayo. Honestly, you guys, he controlled all of my thoughts. I would have, I would play this little game at night when I went to bed. Um, and it was called, um, what is Scott Bayo doing right now? And <laughs> it's a good title, isn't it? And I would lay there and I would to get myself to go to sleep at night, I would just imagine what is Scott Bayo doing right now? Like, what do you think he's doing? And if I couldn't, and I would try to put him in real situations. Well, I know he's got a really great family. So maybe he's just having dinner or maybe he, you know, or I would imagine things, you know, that he was doing. Um, and I used to actually like look forward to going to bed because I couldn't wait to play. What is Scott Bayo doing right now? Um, this is obviously way before, way before now, now, you know, kids know what they're, crush is doing right now because they have social media. Um, but anyway, as I grew older and moved on, I lost a lot of interest in him. And by 1984, I had moved on. And to be honest, even like Charles and Charles in charge, Charles didn't really do it for me. It was always Chachi. Chachi, Chachi, Chachi. <laughs> <laughs> and after Happy Days, do you guys remember like post Happy Days, you'd read in like Tiger Beat magazine about all his romps at like the Playboy Mansion and how he was a total player. And I was kind of repulsed. It's like when I started to learn who he was in real life and it didn't jive with what had been in my head all those years, I didn't really like him. Which brings us to the current, Scott Baio. Yeah. <laughs> the elephant in the room, the very yeah. literal elephant in the room. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> I never put that together. <laughs> but for reasons I'm not going to get into um, right now, only because this isn't a conversation about it. Um, I'm not a fan of Scott Bayo as an adult, like at all. But having said that, that doesn't diminish that flutter I still get in my tummy when I think about Chachi or I watch a Happy Days rerun. Like you guys know that to this day, I have a picture of Chachi. It's right here in my, I'm staring at it right now in my closet. I have a picture of Chachi from Tiger Beat Magazine that's still she does taped. Right. she just showed up yeah, i'll put it on maybe i'll put it on Inst the instagram stories when this podcast For sure. episode goes out i found it like in an old keepsake box years ago and i was like oh that makes me so happy to look at that because it's the nostalgia memories so i i stuck it in my closet and it's because i can separate the two things and the two feelings i can separate 
Scott Bayo today from Chachi, and I can separate my feelings um, because I just feel like what we crush on is an illusion anyway. If you think about it, it's like pull back the curtain on most of our idols and you'll find things you don't want to know or things that might not line up to the image you have in your head, either then or now. And that's just the reality of it. I mean, that's, I don't know. I just feel like it's two separate things. And Kristen, you asked how it, how this formative crush was different than like that first crush with mm -hmm. Donnie and wildly different. Like my crush on Scott Bayo was totally different than Donnie Osmond. Um, and it was still innocent, I'll say, but because my developmental stage was different, my crush was too. Like my crush on Scott Bayo was all consuming lasted from, you know, like, like I said, it was, uh, Lasted until about 82, 70, I'd say 78 to 82. So I'm like thir 12, 13. That's a really long crush. That's very long term. It was all consuming and it wasn't sexual, but it was romantic. It was a romantic crush. It was like, like I never imagined, honest, I don't, maybe I did, but I don't remember imagining or having interest in like actually having sex with them because I think that was kind of gross when I was eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12 years old. But my crush on Scott Bayo was breathless. Like, I honestly would lose my breath when I would look at him, when I would watch Happy Days. And to this day, when I see an old picture of Chachi or I watch an old Happy Days, you guys, I lose my breath when, when I hear that young Scott Bayo voice. That is both heartbreaking and hilarious. It is so... <laughs> What's the funny part? The funny part is that Chachi was, I mean, if we look back at Chachi, it just, it speaks to who we were in the seventies and it speaks to who you were at that moment in time because Chachi was such a caricature, right? He, right. But, he but they created that caricature for people like us, for the 12 year old girl to go, oh my God, look at his tiny little scrawny little arms and his cut off t-shirt. I'm sorry, scrawny? They were the scrawny. <laughs> Scrawny was cute. I really did. I didn't want somebody buff. That was very intimidating. Buff was it was. I didn't want the big muscular guy. I wanted Sean Cassidy with the nice smooth chest, because that was comforting. Chachi had a smooth chest. We couldn't be we couldn't be challenged with too much. So there, um, that is why oftentimes the people that we fall in love with when we're very young tend to be um, more feminine looking. I mean, look at David Cassidy. What a lovely oh, girl he would have made. A Donnie Osmond. Donnie Osmond. A beautiful little girl. Yes, oh. exactly. Is that cute or gross? No, no, it's cute. It is very, <laughs> okay. very innocent and it's very natural because you're only managing what you can manage at the time because yeah. you are, you're not a sexual being yet, but you are gradually getting to the point where you're going to be a sexual being. And so first I love Sean Cassidy with his puppy dog eyes and his nice smooth chest. And then I graduate to Andy Gibb with the rugged good looks and the hairy chest, right? I still don't want to have sex with him. That's gross. That's gross. But I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer and closer, right? So that's you're breathless. Yes, totally breathless. It's a romantic crush. I feel like the second crush is... Like I said, I feel like the second crush is more romantic. There's more romance in it. Yeah. What do you, I don't know. What do you think, Carolyn? That's, that's definitely what I would say. And I would also, so my um, formative crush in terms of, um, I changed my lifestyle and stuff and <laughs> what time I was watching TV and what TV shows I watched because of this person. Um, and it was Jimmy McNichol mm. who kind of short-lived. Uh, he's not your Sean Cassidy or Donny Osmond. Um, okay, I just have to but, say before you go on scrawny okay. right but scrawny yeah. in an adorable seventh grade way well exactly so i think there was as i've dissected this um an attainability to him or he reminded me of a lot of the i was kind of boy crazy and so he reminded me of a lot of the guys that i maybe boys i went to middle school with and um I think, so I was trying to figure out well when would i have discovered him um why did i think he was so cute and i did a little timeline check last night. And so he's Christy McNichol's brother, as we've said. Um, and I th think I remember, I love, I mean, if there was a girl crush, mm. mine would have been on Christy McNichol. Same. There was a show um, called Apple's Way that um, I know Kristen knows. And she was, um, I loved that show. Sadly, not a whole lot of other people did. There but like um, four of us I, know about Apple's Way. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. 
that's a theme too you know, of my life back in the, those days. But um, I loved her then, and then she went on to family. So I do believe my first exposure to Jimmy would have been in a 1976 after school special called Me and Dad's New Wife. <laughs> and Christine. <laughs> Christy McNichol starred in it. Let me tell you, look at listen to this star-studded cast. Christy, Lance Kerwin, <gasps> Leif Garrett, oh my God. and Jimmy McNichol. So yeah, me and dad's new wife. I mean, with all those names, I'm sure I was tuning in, like ran home from school. And I'm sure when I saw him, I thought, and he and Christy look a lot alike. So much so that last night I was looking at pictures of Christy and I thought they were pictures of Jimmy because, oh you know, back then they had their hair, both had their hair feathered and coiffed. And um, so I, there probably is something there as well. And so, um, so that's when I first, I believe, was introduced to him. And then um, he and Christy would do some stuff together and he got his first TV show was... Um, well, he was on Little House on the Prairie, believe it or not, just a couple oh, times. But that. anyway, um, I know. But I'm saving that to the okay. Little House on really the Prairie episode. Um, so there was a show called The Fitzpatrick's, which uh, for whatever reason, they decided to put it up against Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. It was Tuesday night, 7 p.m. on CBS. But I didn't care. And I would go, I'd have to watch it in my bedroom on a black and white TV from my parents' room that they'd let me unplug it because everyone else in my family was watching Happy Days. And so I had to watch him in black and white, people. <laughs> this is sad. But I also would record every episode on an old-fashioned, you know, cassette tape recorder where you had to push, play, and record at the same minute uh, because I wanted to hear his voice all through the week. So then I could replay the episodes oh and just God. hear him talk. And I just fast forward to when he was talking. So I'd like to go on the record that I was like pre-VCR. Like yeah. I was kind of onto something. <laughs> um, so I loved that. And then um, my favorite, I always loved Battle of the Network Stars. And when he was on CBS, I was team CBS mm -hmm. those days, guys. Everyone else was ABC, Charlie's it's Angels, true. Happy Days, Eight is Enough. <laughs> I stuck to my guns. I was team CBS. And did he have those tiny little shorts and tall tube socks? Oh, yes. Those silk shorts. Oh. They had those little running shorts. And yes. Those photos are everywhere too. So yeah, so he had the Fitzpatrick's only one season yet again, but they thought this Jimmy has something. We're going to give him another series. We're going to give him another shot. Then the following year season, he had California Fever, another sadly one season show that also ran from seven to eight on Tuesday nights. Yeah. You guys were watching Chachi. So there's no, no way you knew yeah, about California Fever. California Fever. Um, Yes. And so, and then he sang with his sister. He had this great album that I knew every word to and danced. And my sister and I both did. And he made this dramatically sad movie of the week called Champions, a love story. <gasps> oh, so yeah. he dies in it. And, oh my oh. gosh, you guys, he was a Renaissance man. It was my first I think, experience. <laughs> He's a Renaissance boy. At this. He's a Renaissance boy. Um, yes. This variety of things he can do from you know, paddling a canoe in Battle of the Network Stars and winning the race in the in the um, pool to singing to making me cry as a ice as a I think he was a hockey player turned figure skater yeah. who mm -hmm. dies in a tragic plane crash. It's kind of sad so, because he was overshadowed. I feel like he didn't get his due because he was overshadowed by Christy. He couldn't break out in front of her. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it was kind of kind of hard and she might have been a tad more well, talented she was awesome. well, I mean but... we're not I'm not going to minimize her awesomeness because I agree she's a huge girl crush my first girl crush too I was watching a um a Christy McNichol E True Hollywood story or something like that uh recently and you know they kind of set Scott Bayo and Christy McNichol up to be this you know, do you remember like the Love Boat episode too, where they had to be like boyfriend, girlfriend? And, yeah. but they mm -hmm. kind of, that was kind of a staged romance, although then they did date. But think about that then, Jimmy McNichol. Okay, so did you guys then have, did you have an end game? Did you envision what, what did you want to actually happen? Or were you just living in the moment? Did you think, oh, I have to meet him? Did you think, oh, I want to marry him? Or did you just live in the moment and, and that was it? I think I probably lived in the moment, but wanted him, wanted someone just like him. Like, mm -hmm. I think I was realistic to know this isn't going to happen, but gosh, there's, where can I find this person? Like, I wanted him to be my boyfriend who lived down the street who would ride his bike down um, and not the celebrity Jimmy McNichol. It was, you know, the characters he played in the shows I watched and to just go to West Memorial Junior High and want to carry my books or mm -hmm. something that. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of the 
boyfriend qualities, but not to like, go to Hollywood and do the town with him it or was anything wish, like that. Wishful thinking. Yes. And I mean, imaginative. Mm-hmm. I would just, you know, I daydream about if he was my boyfriend or whatever, mm-hmm. and he went to my school and we ate lunch together and that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't think I actually thought like, did I think we would get married and I would end up with him forever and ever? I don't think I actually thought that would or could ever happen. But the fantasy of that happening was enough. That that was enough. That was all I needed. Okay, so that mm-hmm. brings up a very good point. So the fantasy, we're working in a fantasy world here. Did you have any specific fantasies that you played over and over again or created over and over again? Michelle's nodding her head like, oh. <laughs> I had this one and um, I have, well, I have two two quick stories here. One in particular, and it was just this weird thing of um, he would get home after like shooting like his show all day and I would be like making dinner and we would sit on the couch and watch TV. That was basically it. <laughs> But so romantic. Have, um, I know it was romantic. And I was wearing like a white robe. I remember I always had a white robe. I have a bathrobe fantasy. Yeah. Yes. So that's true. You do have a bathrobe yes. fantasy. Too. My fantasy was being married to Andy Gibb and we shared an apartment. I thought apartments were really sexy. We had an apartment and we would walk around the apartment in our bathrobes. Yeah. That's it. That's the whole fantasy. I can picture what the living room looked like in my fantasy. It had all these glassed in windows that looked out over these mountains. And mine was the ocean. And I was in the kitchen and I would be like, it wasn't, like I said, this was all very innocent still and just romantic. It was just the thought of being together. And, but, um, quickly, I have to tell you guys this story. I don't know if I've ever told you this story before. I might've, I, uh, I've written about it before, but, um, so obviously one of our, probably everybody's huge fantasies with Jimmy McNichol or with Andy Gibb is getting to see them in front of you in person, right? Like seeing them in the flesh. So in 1979, deep, right in the middle of my, uh, like, I mean, there wasn't a day that went by that Scott Bayo didn't enter my thoughts at some point. My family went randomly to Magic Mountain in California. We, li- we didn't even live in California. We were there on vacation. And I don't even know why we decided to go to Magic Mountain, but we did. And as you pull in and you pay for your parking, they hand you a little pamphlet that tells you what all the shows are going to be that day, right? And we take it and we're looking through it. And I don't know who said it or who saw it first, but they were like, oh my gosh, Michelle is going to die. Scott Bayo is performing today at like one o'clock on the whatever stage. Oh my God. Well, I have to open oh this because I've showed you guys the picture. Total uh, that coincidence. So, Total yes. Coincidence. So, you guys. I'm so excited for you right now. Thank you. <laughs> No, but thank you because I wasn't excited. You guys, I was panicking because I had worn my hair in dog ears. No. Some people call them like pigtails. Dog ears on ponytail on each side of your head. We I call them high dog pon- ponytails. High ponytails. And I had those white ribbons tied in it that sort of look like, you guys know the ones. They're like, they came in all bright colors, but they almost look like twisted yarn yeah. kind of. Oh, so yeah. not only did I have dog ears, I had bows in my dog ears. You guys, as my stepdad was like, parking the car, I was ripping my hair out of those dog ears so stinking fast and like trying to brush my hair with my hands because understand I'm 10 years old as if honest to God in my head, I'm thinking, well, shit, Scott Bayo is going to see me in the audience and want to obviously be with me forever, but not if I'm wearing dog ears. No, then you're a little girl. You can't be a little girl. But if my hair's down, I've got a shot. Yes. Probably. <laughs> hair up, little girl. Mm-hmm. Hair down, woman. So I still have pictures, and I maybe I'll post these on Instagram too. So okay, so Stephen Shortridge. I don't know if you guys remember Stephen Shortridge. Yes. Mm-hmm. He opened for Scott Bayo. Scott Bayo comes out all dressed. Hey, what in white, was what right? was Stephen Shortridge on? He was on. I don't even know. My Carolyn. I have no. I've never even heard of. Did him. he? He, only, he was on Three's Company. Girl, yeah. I think he was on Three's Company. Okay, we're gonna have to figure that out. And okay, correct well, the record. Okay. But the only reason I remember Stephen Shortridge is because recently I was looking through my old scrapbook and it's, you know, the pictures back then are crap, right? I have I must right. have had just a little tiny camera and the pictures are from such a distance. I even don't want to think they're like Polaroids. Anyway, and it I have it written underneath it in my little 10-year-old handwriting, Stephen Shortridge with like an exclamation point. And then it's Scott Bayo, and they're He's just like a dot, but he's all in white. He's wearing white tight jeans, a white shirt, and he's singing. Oh my god! Because you know he was such a great vocalist uh-huh. <laughs> at the time. I thought he was. You guys, I lived and died for his albums, and now like they could use album. Yeah, he yeah. had more than one. <laughs> yes, he did. You guys, I recently listened to him. You guys, they could, they could use, they could use his records 
like to torture prisoners right now. And it was <laughs> like, they could give them a choice. Waterboarding, nah, let's just play Scott Mayo. Anyway, it's so bad. Anyway, and like my husband, I was playing it for my husband and he goes, the most amazing thing about these songs is that the producers were like, yeah, that's the best. That's the best track we got. Let's print that Seriously. one. Seriously. Because if and there like, was a better one, you'd be listening to it right now. And the producers like monkeyed with it with the machines enough that they're like, that's as good as we're going to get, guys. That's as good anyway, as we're going to get. So, yeah, so that's my Magic Mountain story. So I don't have a picture. I didn't meet him in person. I saw him and heart beating. I can remember that. I do have a picture afterward with his not with his brother, but his brother came out and was talking to us. And so oh. I have a picture in my scrapbook and it says like Steve Bayo <laughs> and his brother was talking to us. And I don't remember like, what we talked about, but yeah, that was, that was as close as I got. I got pretty close. That is pretty damn close. Most fantasies do not come true. I mean, that, that is, right. that is a living fantasy right there. Well, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, we all know we've taken our daughter, you know, our daughters or sons, we've yeah. taken them to see their idols in concert. But understand too, this is 1979. I was 10 years old. I didn't go to concerts. No, I, I didn't, didn't go either. to a lot of things. No. So this was a really big deal for me. And yeah. I guess if 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 I ask myself, like, what do I remember how I felt when he came out? Did I cry? I remember that from a story, like from my next crush that we'll talk about in a minute. I don't remember that at all. But the one thing that is burned in my memory of that day is those damn dog ears and like getting them out of my hair as fast as I could. So I didn't look so ridiculous when he saw me and noticed me. <laughs> my fantasies consisted either of bathrobes or apartments, um, but there was a lot of beach and sometimes horseback riding, a lot <laughs> of running on the beach. And then and you splash, splash in the waves. <laughs> and then sometimes riding horseback with, um, and of course, whoever I'm riding horseback with is shirtless. Because I'm just starting to get there. It's like, okay, you can take off your shirt. Hopefully your chest is nice and smooth. Yeah, you really like that chest area. <laughs> I mean, just. Well, and the famous story about my Andy Gibb poster is that my grandma walked in and saw it and said, he sure likes his chest hair. Yeah, well, I'm thinking he probably was one of the first where we started to see some chest I hair so. on, yeah, on our crushes. Because you were saying um, before, even just the whole bare chest thing, and then I was thinking about um, my probably really inappropriate crush that I've really dissected this with David Soul because he was like <laughs> 34 when I was 12. He was a dad, and yes, and I'm thinking about Paul Michael Glazier, who was huh, Starsky and Starsky and Hutch. And talk about Harry. Oh, oh that Harry. guy was like, yes. And he, they even had them in Tiger Beat sometimes. Yes, they did. It really wasn't. I don't know if I like no, that. I like what I wanted. That would be like if, if Grace had been when she was that age, crushing hard on Channing Tatum. Like I don't. I wouldn't have felt comfortable with my twelve-year-old. That guy's in Magic Mike. Oh, I can like, see yeah. that though. I can see Magic Mike on the cover of Tiger Beat. Yeah, but for a 12, I mean, maybe like a four, I don't know, if Grace was 11 or 12 yeah, in sixth grade. George Clooney. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. that's you would have put George Clooney on the mm -hmm. cover. But if you yeah. got it, that's, you said like the bare chest and whatever, and earlier when you are talking about um, Scabeo's scrawny arms, which, uh, <laughs> before, I suppose, but you said that about um, Jimmy McNichol too. Also, think about it though, that's, that was their developmental stage too. Like they weren't going to put a 24 year old guy, you know, out there for, I mean, they, I guess John Travolta was a little bit older and he was in the magazines with all these people, but, um, they were, they were, you know, 16, 17 year old boys. Yeah. So they weren't going to be buff. Yeah. It's going to be just right. like Mike Foley in your third grade class. I have a good <laughs> fantasy story for you. This is from Stephanie, who is also a follower on my celebrity crush story. This is definitely in the category of people's fantasies coming true. So oh, wow. Sean Cassidy, her dad is in the entertainment business, and he has to go to an event at which Sean Cassidy is going to be singing live. So he takes Stephanie out of school and brings her with him. And lo and behold, he arranges so that Stephanie can meet Sean Cassidy. So they get together. Here's Stephanie's dad. And here's he's like, Stephanie, this is Sean Cassidy. Sean Cassidy, this is my daughter, Stephanie. And then he says... She's in love with you. <gasps> and she Dad. just died, just crumbled and died. Like the world opened up and she just fell inside. Um, okay. The good part is she got to watch him from the wings 
with Shirley Jones. Shirley Jones puts her arm around her. Yes. Mm -hmm. But here's the best part of the story. Dad knew he effed up. And on the ride home, Dad was like, so, you know, honey, did you notice how when I told Sean Cassidy that you loved him, he was definitely interested. He was <laughs> listening. <laughs> and she knew he was lying. She knew that wasn't true, but she was just very touched that he was trying to rescue her. Okay, so looking back now, we're examining these crushes. What were you learning when you were in the midst of these crushes? I mean... I lived so deep in my fantasy life, probably not much more than a lot of disappointment. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think really in my fantasy life, I was worthy of Scott Bayo. Like in my fantasy Aww. life, I got to be the girl, you know, and yeah. I could play around with how that felt um, without anyone knowing and without worrying about doing or saying anything wrong. Oh my you God. You could that is... test it out, right? You could kind of yeah. test out those feelings and, um, yeah. Well, it allows you, that's exactly what it is, Michelle. It allows you to feel all the feels without getting dumped. <laughs> you get to go through the whole experience without the breakup. Well, and then Carolyn, what you said earlier about, um, you know, thinking about the boys in your class or the boys who live down the street, it's almost like you were learning what kind of boyfriend you wanted. Well, and if we, if we listen to ourselves, Right. If we listen to those little girls and the things that they were attracted to and what they wanted in those boys, if we held true to those values and chose men like that, that's a pretty happy life. Right. That's well, some good teaching. Yeah. Except for that, I would argue kind of what I was saying about Scott Bale earlier. So like mm -hmm. how much like if you're talking about the physical characteristics of Jimmy McNichol, that that kind of taught you what you wanted. But then you have to wonder how much of how he was portrayed to us was actually who he was. And maybe with a lot of them, it actually was because we all know there's a lot of these teen idols who were just really decent people and they still are to this day. But when I look back, like I said earlier about Scott Baio, um, it was also even by 1982, I didn't really like who he was when he wasn't Chachi. I didn't mm -hmm. like that playboy that he, you know, you started reading. I mean, do you guys remember? I mean, if you weren't following mm -hmm. all his stories, maybe you don't remember that, but it was very publicized that he was a play a player. And but that's, um, that's part of your learning, Michelle. Like you are discerning in that moment. You are discerning the way he's behaving now I, I is like not that. the boyfriend yeah. that I want. And so that's if you point. listen to that as you went through your choosing of a mate, mm -hmm. if you listen to that voice, you were taught well. Thank you, Scott Bayo. <laughs> My friend Annie, this is, I mean, I said this earlier, you're in the process of learning how to become a sexual being, right? And so when you're three, what does that look like? Well, not that much. It's just staring at an album cover. And then when you're 10, you add chest hair. And when you're in high school, you add sex, right? You, right. so you add things along the way. And my friend Annie said she was 12 years old and she was watching um, Magnum P.I. It was like the first episode of Magnum P.I., and Tom Selleck comes out with his tiny shorts and his tigers and his tube socks. And she said she just stared at the TV and she actually had the thought process. She went, huh, I guess that's what sexy means. Oh. Like she was literally learning what sexy was. Well, that'll do it. Looking at uh, Tom Selleck and early, right. you know, during that time, right? Mm -hmm. It was Okay, so Michelle, you have a crush that went, came even later, right? Because for some of us, the crushes end right around 12, 13, because we start being interested in real boys. Because if, we, if these relationships are relationships that allow us to feel all the feels without getting dumped, at a certain point, it's like they're preparing us to dip our toe into the real world. And we start to see like the boy in social studies instead. And we... You know, maybe Tiger Beat isn't as important to us because we're going to focus on Scott Sorensen. Um, yeah. I hope Scott Sorensen doesn't come across this podcast. <laughs> oh. I want to meet him. Somebody please find Scott Sorensen. Right. Uh, yeah, except for, yes. And I think, okay, so like for me, like Scott Bayo and I, you know, we just kind of went our separate ways. And then I hit puberty and in about 1982. Yeah, I moved on and I moved on to a slightly, well, an older and slightly dangerous, like to me at least, um, British rock star. And so for the next few years, Simon Le Bon fed my flames, like very literally. 
<laughs> you know, then, then, so if we go from my Donny Osmond crush of puppy love, my romantic crush of Scott Bayo, I'm, I'm now in, you know, eighth, ninth, 10th grade and Simon Le Bon, it's a totally different kind of crush, right? That is, that's a sexual type of crush. Those are the feelings. Those are the, you know, the tingles, not just in your tummy. <laughs> those are, but you guys, but for real, right? Let's yeah. be real. Those are, those are, that's a different kind of crush. Interesting though, because he was, I, can we say he was blonde? Cause it was real frosted, wasn't it? Oh, it counts. It counts. I know, but interesting that up to then it had been dark hair. But mm-hmm. Kristen, to your point of a lot of people don't still have celebrity crushes and and at, at that age because they're moving on to real life. I also was very um, almost like repressed in that area. I moved a lot and I had to, I had, Probably one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, I'm now realizing, was making a really big move from ninth grade to 10th grade from a very small school to a very, very big school and trying to be the new girl in 10th grade with a lot mm-hmm. of kids who have been together since kindergarten and in a very big school in um, Scottsdale, Arizona. So it was kind of like a, a cool place anyway. And um, there was no way I was going to put myself out there and definitely did I have a crush on someone a hundred percent. And to this day, I mean, it's like no secret, like the actual person I had a crush on. And, um, that's a whole other story, but like, yes, but would I have ever said anything about it or acted on it? No. And that was actually, that's part of the actual story is like, huh, how come you never said anything or did anything about it? But, um, so I had Simon Laban. I had Simon Laban from, you know, from, the, my old, my old house, my old school, my, my girlfriends and I um, each had a different member of Duran Duran. We went to their concert, their seven and the ragged tiger concert in Seattle in 1984. We screamed and cried like they were the Beatles. I mean, it was, it was enormous, but I was able to take Simon Le Bon with me from Washington to Arizona. And I was able mm-hmm. to put all my same pictures of him on my wall. And as I was able to continue my relationship with him, that was constant. My life was a complete upheaval then. I mean, it was, when I say traumatic, it's a capital T, that move. Mm -hmm. But my, my crush and my, you know, my feelings and my fantasy life with Simon Laban was like the one thing I could count on. And it was the one thing that, that remained steady. It served a really important purpose for you because mm-hmm. as a person who's moving around a lot, you can't plant your feet on the ground to be interested in somebody who's right in front of you. Mm-mm. And you and, pair that with the fact that you're adolescent and you're scared and you're, you're the new girl and nobody's yeah. going to like me anyway. You just better take cover in Simon Laban. Yeah. And so so my so- sophomore and junior year, that remained like that remained a really important part of my life. I think by the time I was about a senior in high school, I still liked Duran Duran, but I had, I wasn't like the posters were off the wall and, you know, it just kind of fizzled out, you know, then they were mm-hmm. making also, you know, kind of making music that wasn't my favorite as much anymore and whatever. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a, a wildly important part of my like eighth, ninth and 10th, you know, well, and life. as you near, as you near adulthood, the posters and things like that don't make sense anymore because you're becoming, you're starting to put one foot in the real world. And you start to see fantasies as something that children do. Mm. You know, people Mm -hmm. who are younger, they have an imagination. But now I'm a grown woman and I'm going to go to college and I'm going to take these classes and I'm going to buy a car and right. Mm -hmm. And so posters are from posters are from a fantasy world. Mm -hmm. So then you just start enjoying their music and, you know, looking at his warm form. (laughs) (laughs) I know somebody who said um, they... Their first crush was the fox in Robin Hood. Oh. The Disney fox in yeah. Robin Hood. And it turns out, so I did a little Googling, the Disney fox, the animated fox in Robin Hood was a lot of people's first crush. What? Yes. I know. I could kind of, I mean, they kind of have him, you know, being kind of suave. And, a little swagger. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. I wonder who was the voice. I wonder if it was any star that we would know who voiced that would be that a good uh, a good deep dive. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. Well, I think we should cap off this episode with once again we're going to keep doing this with Sean Cassidy. <laughs> he seems to make it into every single episode. <laughs> so when Carolyn and I got tickets to the first time in forty years Sean Cassidy concert last year, I commented on one of his posts, 
Um, and there were, everybody is fawning over him, right? And I wanted to do something besides fawning. I wanted him to understand how, I mean, like he was ever going to see my comment anyway, right? But I felt the need to make sure that he knew that this is not just about fawning and thinking somebody is cute. This was about my development as a human being. And so I commented on this post by saying, you were a big part of this girl's coming of age. And he commented back. Oh, I'm so excited. And right there, that's a story, right? Sean Cassidy is talking to me. And he said, and you were a part of mine. I know. We never think about that part. These were young people just like us. And we were a part of their growing up, just like they were a part of our Mm -hmm. growing up. How special is that? He's so great. I know. We love you, Sean. And you're welcome to come on. We we will drop everything for him to come on here. So anytime you're free, Sean. We were a guest on here. And, and please, anyone listening, know that. And if you know him, get, <laughs> get the word to him. Because while I, if you all listen to episode one, while I loved him like a brother-in-law, my greatest day in life would be to watch Kristen and Carolyn actually have a conversation with Sean Cassidy. Like, I would probably have to just lead the whole thing because both of them would just be like, uh, uh. We would be there to facilitate the conversation. And I'd have to wear my depends on that day for sure. We're putting it out there. We're putting it out there in the universe. And for all our listeners, please put it out there in the universe for us too. We have a lot of dream guests, guests, but he is top of it. Oh, Carolyn and Michelle, thank you so much for sharing the private details of your preteen love lives today. And if you have a crush story that you would like to share, I am all ears. Send me a direct message on Instagram at my celebrity crush story, or you can email me at my celebrity crush story at gmail.com. And you guys, if you enjoyed our conversation today, we would love to hear from you and for you to be a part of the society. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and on our website at poppreservationists.com. And you can listen to us via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, follow, and oh yes, we love, love, love reviews. That helps us find new listeners. So if you have friends who would also love to be part of the society, um, make sure to share. Yep. And you guys, I hope you join us next week when we will be saving our pioneer girl fantasies with a robust discussion of Little House on the Prairie. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast. Courtesy of Janet, Chrissy, and Jack Tripper. To good times. To happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to me, the Crushologist, and Carolyn and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, I guess there's always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded at Modern Well, a woman-centered co-working space in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song